0: has for information on educational purposes only and not for the purpose of rendering medical advice. As always, information should be pulled from multiple crippled sources, crowd reference, worm you your almost accurate hypothesis, Evans, can support, always seek the advice of a physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any question regarding a medical condition. <gasps> this is the Actual PT Podcast, where actual problems mean actual evidence, producing actual results. And your hosts, Troy Lind and Taylor Flock. Welcome and thank you for joining us to the actual PT podcast, actual PT, actual PT Nation. Troy, how are you doing, sir? My name's Troy, and I'm doing good. Are you, Troy? I'm Troy, and I'm <laughs> doing good. <laughs> I'm glad to hear you. I'm glad to hear you're doing good. Glad to hear yeah, you're doing good. I'm doing good,
1: Taylor. That's why I said my name's Troy.
0: Well, uh, tell them, uh, tell me, tell the people, uh, but also please tell me, what are we talking about today? <laughs> We're talking about ACL
1: reconstruction, which stands for, I can't think of a
0: funny joke right now. Interior cruciate ligament reconstruction. Yeah. That's what Come I on, said. man. Yeah, that's what I said. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we're uh, talking about um, just, I mean, we're painting some like really broad strokes about this subject. And we will Three tell you. trees. Happy trees. Um, some, some happy trees, some, uh, some trees in here may really not, sad. <laughs> they're, they're not going to be happy. They're not going to be happy. There is a lot of, uh, research out there. I mean, if you type it into, uh, you know, PubMed or whatever, um, you're going to come up with a lot of results for ACL, ACL reconstruction, ACL rehabilitation. Um, I mean, I saw, uh, in one of our note, one of our slides, our teacher, when we
1: were in PT school had said at the time, there's over two twenty-five, greater than twenty-five thousand research articles on ACL reconstruction just within the last. I
0: think that was in within the last couple of years.
1: That was back then. And so now you add whatever they've done since on top of it.
0: And it is still shocking how li- how little we know. Um, there are so many things that it's. It, yeah th- we just don't have like the best information like some of our guidelines you know we you know some guidelines you know are pretty concrete yeah. but i mean there's some other stuff it's just like i feel like we should know this by now yeah. um yeah. so uh yeah we're, we're talking about them them acls and uh what to do after you uh re- i guess repair them I mean, there's gonna be a lot of uh, reference to studies in here um a lot of evidence a lot of yes. evidence practice yes what I definitely recommend if you find yourself in a situation with a deficient or uh, torn ACL, um, definitely look over your options. You need to look over where you are in life, and we'll, yes. we'll get we'll, we'll get into more into that here in a little bit. But, um, yeah, I guess I'll jump right on in here. Yeah, I want
1: you to start because I just want it to be known that I am not in orthopedics anymore. It's been two years since I've treated anyone <laughs> with uh, ACL repairs. Yeah. So uh, Taylor's going to be driving the train on this one, and I'm just going to be here to... Uh, Make sure
0: it stays on the tracks. Uh, Choo-choo. Choo-choo. Chugga-chugga-choo-choo. Chugga-chugga. You do the chugs, I'll do the Mm. (laughs) (laughs) choo-choos.
1: I don't know if that was supposed to be sexual
0: or not. I I, I, I didn't need it to be a kind of... Okay. So the ACL, the anterior cruciate ligament. Uh, So going back to basic terminology here, uh, ligament that connects bone to bone. The bones in question for the ACL our femur, and then our tibia, or the bottom part of your leg. You want to think of it that way. Um, What this ACL does is it prevents the forward or anterior uh, translation of the tibia on that femur. And this is really required for some really high-level motion, such as cutting, athletic maneuvers, landing without your, you know, tibia just flying around essentially this thing serves to especially help us with deceleration it keeps the bones stable as we you know try to quickly change directions So, yeah, and with this uh, ACL in particular, um, I think something that sometimes gets overlooked is the uh, neurologic aspect of this because this ACL has uh, mechanoreceptors in there. Mm. It can detect forces. It can detect speeds. And this translates a lot of information to the brain that it uses to be able to coordinate a lot of these motions. And so when the ACL gets torn, becomes lax, becomes deficient, what this uh, essentially causes is there's a lot of those um lack of confidence um and there's a lot of psychological factors that kind of go into this and like more stuff like in the neuro side of things in terms of getting this thing to be back to normal and getting it back to normal is a task yes
1: it is and i think that's even more because i forget that a lot of times how important that is with the neural component of it Mm -hmm. and i think something that's you know as we can kind of get into things there's things called copers. I didn't know when you wanted to talk about that, but uh, copers are basically people that are able to cope or function without an ACL, correct? Mm-hmm. And I think that's even more inter- more important to understand because there's certain people that are definitely, most definitely not copers. No. And this is what you'd almost have to presume is part of it because of that neural connection that they have. No. Others, they may not rely on it as much. Right. Maybe these quote-unquote copers maybe don't rely on it as much as others do.
0: Well, and I think with... Or maybe they're able I, to remap that area
1: yeah, of um, the brain or something.
0: I think with copers, um, they, their brains and their nervous systems in general are definitely more plastic. Um, yeah. But I also... And by plastic, I mean like just more able to make changes quickly. They're able to adapt, adapt yeah. easier. Um, but the other thing that may also be a factor, and I'm more speculating. I don't have research for this. Mm. But I feel like people who end up being copers, um, I feel like they probably... Uh, rely more so on muscle. They they kind of do what yeah. we in PT want people to do, which is rely on muscle, not on your ligaments. Yeah. Um, and so because of that, since they're already doing that, once they switch over and they don't have that ligamentous stability anymore, for them it, it, it's just another day in the office. Yeah. Um, it's just just getting through that initial trauma
1: and having proper body mechanics to do so.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. I kind of, uh, I guess going forward a little bit in terms of like scope of this thing, um, every year um, it's estimated about 3% of amateur athletes injure their ACL. Oh yeah. You see it all the time Mm -hmm. and especially like
1: division three, like college athletics specifically. But yeah, I think division three where I played collegiate sports at even more so. I mean, it was every team every year had one basically.
0: Oh, absolutely. Uh, And, uh, whenever you start talking about professionals, um, this number goes up to 15%. That's craziness. You'd think it'd be
1: opposite too, but, but at the same time, you're putting the body through greater stresses at that point, greater forces. Mm -hmm. And yeah, high, yeah. Cause you're looking at the power output of these Mm -hmm. athletes or look at the NFL athletes, right? Yeah. I mean, just the sheer power they're going through and change the direction and, Mm-hmm. the force of hitting each other right because now you have 350 pound men running four or five 40s and it's just ridiculous
0: exactly and um you know t- talking a little bit more i guess a little bit about the uh, gender divide women are two to eight times more likely to tear uh, an acl uh, versus a man and you know, I'm not really sure why I didn't, um, I guess, I like, go deep in that study on me, but I don't, I'm not sure why it's, like, two to eight times. Like, it, that's a pretty big range. Yeah. That may then yeah. be based off multiple studies is what I'm guessing. Yeah, I would
1: assume so, yeah, because... A lot of I've, I read one article, and, you know, like we said, we, they're, they're so conflicting. I read one article that said mm-hmm. a lot of it's because of the carrying angle of the hips because they're so mm-hmm. much wider in women. Yeah. So that it creates a— A, a natural a,
0: valgus force. Yep, yep, mm-hmm.
1: yep, which would contribute to the tearing. And then, another, you know, that's kind of conflicting as well as, you know, just from practice when I was a strength conditioning coach for a, the women's basketball team at Bluffton University. Mm-hmm. That was, I mean, majority of it is body mechanics from what I saw. Like every time yeah. you jump in women's basketball, a lot of people fall into that valgus and don't have that control. of the. Wait, glutes. what's a
0: valgus, Chuck?
1: Uh, what's a valgus? <laughs> <laughs> it's when the knees fall in. So imagine knock knees. Imagine every time yep. you jump and you go to land and your knees bow in or together, mm-hmm. like they're going to pinch you or hit each other. Yeah. Um, and that's usually how a lot of injuries occur because they can't control it. They can't yeah. stabilize the knee where it should be.
0: Do you want to hear the uh, funny way I remember? Because the, the opposite is called uh, Varus, Varus. Uh, for uh, for the listener out there. that yeah. want know the funny way I remember it? <laughs> it actually came from your roommate in PT school. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, he uh, he was just standing there, and then he like bowed his knees outward, and he went, "There is a pig between my <laughs> knees." <laughs> And I, I don't oh know why that stuck with me ever since. <laughs> and every single time someone says Varus, so I'm like, Varus is a pig. <laughs> and, and, and I don't even know what accent that... I don't, I don't know what accent he was trying to do with it. I just remember there was a accent. <laughs> he wasn't
1: the best
0: accent. No, it sure. was not.
1: Great guy. Funny guy. Not no. the best <laughs> accent.
0: No, 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 no. Not the best. Not the best. <laughs> He'll tell you that, too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think also, and you, you might be able to speak to this, too, is... Is that typically, um, I I think like women's weightlifting programs, I feel like there's less emphasis, um, like put on like, I guess like form with some of the basic movements, um, you know, teaching how to not go into that valgus. Um, also simple fact of there, it seems it's gotten better, I think in recent years, but, um, less of an emphasis for weightlifting in general or, uh, Any type of, like, real hard uh, strengthening, especially, like, within the hamstrings. The hamstrings are uh, definitely critical for ACL health. Yeah, I mean, we could do an entire
1: episode on this, but uh, when I was a strength coach of the women's basketball team, we had a lot of freshmen come in that had never lifted in their their careers. Oh, my goodness. They had never once even touched the weight room. Yeah. So as soon as you start getting them into the weight room, if you think about a lot of strength and conditioning programs at these smaller tier levels, at high school athletics, at division three athletics, a lot of them are doing the wrong, just frankly doing the wrong things. Yep. A lot of them are frankly just not training the glutes, not training biomechanics, not training proper form like they should. Mm-hmm. They're emphasizing weight. They're emphasizing just throwing up weight and however you do it. They're emphasizing shallow squats without proper mechanics. I mean, when mm-hmm. I got to Bluffton... Uh, they were doing improper lift. I mean, they were doing—they were literally doing shallow squats, and coaches were like pulling athletes by the hips down to get lower. Yeah, just Ugh. bizarre stuff. Yeah, bizarre Ugh. stuff. But yeah. Um. And before I had gotten there, they had started a ACL protocol to try to re- uh, reduce these injuries, and they saw a slight reduction because it was kind of standard protocol, kind of a catch all, mm-hmm. and it did it. I think they were averaging about two to three ACL tears a year and it decreased them to one to two. So over the course of I I think it was like five years. So a small sample size, right. But when I came in, I was only there for a year, but we didn't have a single one because I, we simply addressed the issues. We addressed glutes. We addressed posterior chain, hamstring Mm -hmm. core and body mechanics. And just through doing those things, I mean, it alleviated all. I mean, it alleviated all of our, we didn't have a single injury that year, but you know, again, small sample size, hard to say.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I guess kind of, uh, going forward a little bit, um, and this is just, these are just like some, I don't know, hot facts about, uh, ACLs in general. Uh, 35% of athletes do not return to pre-injury status two years post ACL reconstruction. That's mind boggling. 35%. Um, that was, uh, found by Arden in, uh, 2014. Um, yeah, that's, that is a ridiculously huge number. And if they're not getting there after two years, I mean, I it, I think the chances of them ever getting there is very limited.
1: Oh, for sure. I mean, it's, yeah, we had this conversation earlier that, I mm-hmm. mean, think about, especially when you get to professional, right? And the higher level of athletics you get to, the mm-hmm. higher demand on uh, perfection or whatever you want to say. Um, yeah. And imagine not doing your sport. For mm-hmm. a year to two years. Mm-hmm. And trying to imagine all the changes neurologically that happen. All the changes mm-hmm. muscularly with type 2 uh, fibers or type 1. And depending on your sport, obviously. But um, it's just, yeah, to even think about trying, like a football player. Taking time off from the football field and trying to return back to peak NFL status. I mean, you see it time and time again where they just, they're not quite what they were.
0: Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, and... I mean, part of that I I definitely think is, uh, you know, just the obvious nature of like just how critical the ACL is. And like, I think the neurologic input that it gives to the brain is just, it's massive and it's just hard to rebuild that. But then there's also, um, I mean, there's been a lot of also studies looking at the psychological aspect of it. And I think it goes back to that where players Mm -hmm. just are not as confident. They're not going, they're naturally going to hold up instead of giving, you know, a hundred percent, they're only able to give maybe 85 percent, because they just naturally hold up because something in their brain says uh, they shouldn't. Well, and I had, a, I had a
1: very good friend of mine that uh, was on the football team with me at Buffton Tours ACO, and his thing was uh, he and we're going to get into this later, but you know, he had to wear his knee brace from tr- the training staff mandatory one-year minimum. Mm-hmm. He was not able to do anything involving weightlifting, cutting, nothing yep. for one year without the knee brace on. And it was it was hard to tell what the knee brace was doing in his mind versus just what limitations he had with the knee.
0: Because mm-hmm. he would
1: blame the knee brace for everything. He'd say, it's so clunky. I'm just It feels funky when I run in it. It doesn't feel good to cut in. I feel like it's slowing me down. But really, how much of it was the knee brace and how much of it was just the knee not being at 100%, right? like.
0: Him not having
1: that neural connection, him not having these things and not being able to push it because he didn't have confidence in it. It, Exactly. And part of that's probably just, I mean, it's probably, you know, 50, 50, right? I mean, part of it's here, part Mm -hmm. of it's there, but yeah, he just, for a full year, I mean, two years after he was still like, it just doesn't, he, he would literally Mm -hmm. say it didn't feel 100, like it felt 100, he didn't have pain, right? Felt 100%, but he'd go to cut and he literally preferred routes where he was cutting on the opposite knee rather than that one.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it really, really does make sense. Um, I think I would be really interested too, you know, just to see like further work, like looking at the uh, athlete's mindset because athlete's mindset, you know, and we're pattern recognition. It, pattern recognition is how our brains work. We're like, yeah. okay, what's different here? Oh, it's this knee brace. Blame it on that. That's the thing yeah. that's holding me holding me back. But once you actually take it away, you know the reality of the situation you know i think that could be something a really tough pill to swallow that you're just not going to be as strong you're not going to be as fast and you're not going to be as good as you were prior to the injury Mm -hmm. um that can be a i don't know that's that's a huge uh, thing to ask someone to accept so yeah i don't blame them for uh, blaming it on that but Mm -hmm. i I don't know just like further looking into that and how to get people to overcome that because i don't know that i have a good answer for that
1: yeah, I I'm in. Sports, I'm in the physical
0: world. I'm not in the brain world.
1: Yeah, I think sports like sports psychology has been taking leaps and bounds, and maybe this is something, You know, this would be a good episode in the future. But yeah, just looking at that connection
0: and what what they're doing nowadays to address it. I don't know. I haven't. Hmm. Good. Um, I guess moving forward with uh, another study. Um, once again, a huge range here. It only came from one study. Um, so I don't know. But a uh, three to twenty-two percent of athletes will re-rupture. The repair, wow. Um, it didn't. It, I didn't get a. Cluster I think. Quarter. I think that's lifetime. I, I don't think that was like within any set period of time. Uh, the next one is within five years. Three uh, to twenty-four percent will rupture the opposite ACL within five years. Because they're relying on it. Mm-hmm. 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 Oh, uh, that's why I'm thinking over I'd reliance assume, yeah. on the other side. Um. So. This next one is, uh, I think, uh, I think it's going to be a hard study. I think maybe for some people to hear uh, the rate of return to play and return to play is, we're in the definition that this study used is a person uh, going playing at the same level they were prior to the injury is. Uh, it's only sixty five percent for non professional athletes. Wow. Um, so that's a. I mean, essentially a 65% chance as to whether or not you'll be able to get back to that level. Yeah. And not even, and that's not even talking about surpassing. That's just getting to that level.
1: That And that just goes into what we were talking about earlier about you really need to take. There's a lot of factors to consider about if you even want a reconstruction of yeah. this
0: done. Yeah. And uh, I think we'll probably talk uh, maybe a little bit more about that later on. Yeah. Um yeah. So uh, I guess getting to the surgery itself.
1: Yeah, that would help.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Kind of move this thing along. Um, so with the surgery and I, what the way that the ACL is done is it, a, a certain tendon is selected. And the three most common are from the hamstrings pate- or the patellar tendon, which if you feel your kneecap, that's the tendon below that, um, or the posterior tibialis tendon, Um what they do with this is they will uh, essentially remove the muscle. They will scrape away all the muscle fibers, so they just have a literal tendon there. Then they'll do some drilling around the knee, and they'll thread the uh, tendon through a bunch of different times, and then they will uh, sew you back up. I mean, that's uh, that's that's kind of the gist. Um, yeah, overall. And there's a bunch of different... Yeah, I mean, there's
1: so many different techniques to it. There's like double yep. bun- bundle, triple bundles, like all sorts mm-hmm. of different... So, Overall, I think it's just to look at it from a gen- real general perspective because it just changes so much.
0: Yeah, it definitely does. Um, I mean, in terms of which one you get, it can be based off your own personal case, but it could also put, just be based off uh, surgeon preference. Uh, in uh, terms of the research, I think the one thing that was kind of interesting is the hamstrings uh, seems to be a little bit less durable than the patellar tendon. Um and part of that is also reflected in research where hamstrings, they are, um, it's like a hard stop, no, um, open chain, uh, quad straight thing. So that's like the knee extension or long arc quad machine. Um, a few people at home want to know what I'm talking about. Just Google long arc quads. And that's the motion we're talking about. Um, essentially none of those for, um, None of those, I think it was like for six weeks, but for the patellar, um, that they could actually start safely after about four. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also seems like patellar has less, um, like guess like laxity after like six months compared to the hamstrings one. Hmm. Um, I don't know, but I, but also apparently, uh, it's also a much harder recovery. Um, I mean, you're talking about removing one of the critical tendons that your quads use to strengthen your knees. So... Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's there's, good and bad there uh, is what we're getting at. And also, um, you can come from your own body. That is an autograft. Auto just means self. Um, but it can also come from a uh, allograft or from a cadaver. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically, somebody who's passed away whose knees didn't, weren't shot.
1: Yep, yep. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, that seems to be a little bit less commonly done, at least in the United States. But um, at the same time, it just depends on... Who you're messing with? Yep. So um, I think with uh, where we're at next, um, I guess we should go into some of the do's, the and do's and don'ts. don'ts, the do's and donuts of, uh, of rehab, rehab of ACL reconstruction rehab. And this is very general because, as we were talking about earlier, the research it's it's conflicting in spots, but in the procedure, procedure so conflicting in spots, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's so vastly
1: different. Like you said, just the Rehab process from what graft they take mm-hmm. all the way down to how they put it in, all the way mm-hmm. down to if there was any other damage that might have occurred during the injury, mm-hmm. like MCL. Uh, I mean, you name it, there's so many structures in there.
0: Talk about that unhappy triad, about that, the, the happy yet severely unhappy triad. Tell them about that ACL, MCL, medial meniscus that uh, tend to uh, get torn uh, together. I'm talking about that. I'm talking about that. You are currently discussing. I'm currently
1: discussing that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, um, that is also another factor, uh, I guess, like in this whole scheme, is that for many cases, it's rare that you just kind of only tear the ACL. Normally, the meniscus gets a little bit in it and also the MCL. Whether or not um, reconstruction of those needs to happen or the meniscus needs to be clipped out, Um, that's kind of a case-by-case thing, but it does affect um, the rehab and how quickly we can get at certain things.
1: Yeah, and a lot of people fail to understand um, that a lot of these things in the knee aren't black and white, like where exactly where the meniscus starts and ends with with comparison to the MCL. A lot of times Mm -hmm. these things have a little bit of overlap where there's a little bit of connection of one on the other or a little bit of adhesion, if you will, from one to the other. So a partial tear in one can lead to a partial tear in the other, or stresses from one can lead to stress on the other.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, do's oh, and don'ts. Actually, before we get to the do's and don'ts, one before thing we we, do's and don'ts. we we, uh, we did uh, miss, I guess, like uh, one thing, a uh, common mechanism of injury. That would help. Yeah, um, common mechanism of injury, planted foot and you're twisting on it. Yeah, think of, uh, I mean, this is
1: just my wheelhouse, right, football? But think about you're a wide receiver, and you plant your foot, and you're trying to make a break uh, or a cut out of your break or your break out of your cut, however you want to say that. Cut you make, the breaks. You're going to cut the breaks. And you're going to make a break, and you're going to try to go out for the ball, right? Like you're trying mm-hmm. to lose your defender, make a cut in yep. the flats or something, wherever, whatever route you're running. And your foot stays, and your body goes to turn. And then you hear a pop, and you
0: fall. That's like very, very common. What everyone hears. Yep, yep. All right, the do's and donuts of rehab for ACL reconstruction. Like Me too. Um, so, for one thing, uh, one thing that research does seem to be does seem to agree on is that uh, you should definitely do uh, exercises prior to the surgery. You should have a prehab. You're, you should be going into that uh, surgery with the quads as close to as equal as you can on the opposite side. Yeah. Or, uh, yeah, as close to equal as the other side. As
1: the unaffected side. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, also, you want those glutes to be going, too, because glutes, they just love to shut down. And once they do, they can be a pain to get turning on again. And if there are any range of motion issues, that should be addressed prior to the surgery. That's going to make it a lot, lot easier um, to get that post. Um, going forward, you should be doing closed chain exercises uh, before and uh, following surgery. Um, which is hilarious. I, I'm glad I actually know that because I wrote the opposite thing in my note here.
1: That's what I was gonna say. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, so when we're talking about open chain or closed chain, the easiest way to think about it for closed chain exercises for the leg just means that your foot is planted into the ground. Yep. Think That's squats. Yep. Yeah. Thinking squats, lunges. Stationary. Yeah, stationary bike, any type of exercise like that. You want to uh, avoid, in particular, um, those long arc quads, that knee extension, um, and the open chain where the foot's not connected. Because of the way that the force goes through the knee, um, essentially you're just looking for not only more pain, but also more damage. So I should avoid those. Mm-hmm. Also following the surgery, you should try to get your, uh, gait the way that you walk as normal as possible, as soon as possible. And this is what I tell patients, um, all the time with this. It is far better to walk correctly than it is to walk faster or farther. I don't care how far or how fast you go in the first couple of weeks. I just want you to be doing it correctly. Progress, doing it correctly. That's good tidbit. Yeah, yeah. and part of the reason for that, um, when we're talking about motor plans in the brain, the way that we walk is one of the most ingrained um, movement patterns in our body. It's, I mean, it's literally it lives in our spinal cord. Even, yeah. Um, and if we start to alter that, and we start to change that. Getting it to change back can be very, very difficult. Um, also with this, uh, it h- tends to help a lot with just pain control too. Um, it's amazing how, uh, I've seen patients, you know, they come in, they're limping, they're making funky faces and then you start having them walk correctly, you know, good heel toe mechanics. And suddenly like, you know, this actually feels right. This, this feels good. It, it's not hurting anymore. Um, so, I mean, even from a pain control aspect, um, that part's awesome. Um, and I guess like also on that note, um, research seems to indicate that it is pretty safe. If you have only an ACL tear, it's safe to walk on it post-surgery. But at the same time, because there is such variability in techniques and um, I guess like of cares, you should definitely uh, follow your uh, surgeon's uh, recommendations and precautions. He was the one in there. He knows what it looks like and he knows the quality of tissue that's in your knee at that time. Yeah,
1: or how much he had to take from... The other location, right? It yeah. It's it, your own tissue.
0: Yeah. yeah, exactly. So um yeah, refer to a surgeon or the PT for that. Um, let's see here. Also, uh in certain cases, this seems to be more so for um whenever like a meniscus is involved, but uh yeah, you might be in an, an extension brace uh for, you know, one to four weeks or even an upwards of six weeks, uh, depending on the surgeon or the case. Uh, essentially, an extension brace. It just locks your knee straight. You can't really hardly bend it. Um, that is obviously not ideal for trying to uh, recreate the gait pattern. But at the same time, we—if you have a meniscus tear and he, uh, you know, sewed it back together—you you, kind of just have to do what you got to do in those yeah. circumstances. Yeah. Um, some other things that's also really good, and this has kind of been building off of what we were talking about earlier. Um, you should incorporate neuromuscular training along with strength training early on to improve overall function as well as the muscles. So we don't, we don't only want the, uh, muscle to work. We want the muscle to be able to work in conjunction with the rest of the body. And that takes uh neuromuscular reeducation. Um, here is another one. this is this is actually one that uh, I learned, uh, I guess like uh, today, looking this stuff up. Waiting nine months as opposed to eight months for uh, returning to pivoting sports. So it, so uh, the study, it looked at how um, the, the rate of injury if people started went back at eight months versus nine. If you literally just wait the extra month, there's a 51% reduction in re-injury of that ACL. Which is crazy. A high <laughs> amount. Insanely high amount. And part, I think part of this goes back to literally just biologic tissue healing constraints. Yeah. And now a soft tissue healing timeline, that's normally just like six weeks. That's That's enough time for it to become solid into the tissue for you to be able to progress into somewhat higher level things. Um, With that being said, though, the tendon that I was talking about earlier that gets, you know, drilled into your bones after you have this surgery, it undergoes a process where it actually starts becoming more and more like a ligament, like the Mm -hmm. tissue quality literally changes, your body changes it. And I, and what the study is telling me is that That process, it takes a lot of time and that it seems as though that literally that extra month, there are some, uh, I guess, like final phases that seems to occur for the vast majority of people. But there was another study that said that this process can take an upwards of 12 months. So literally an entire year to, uh, for that tendon to be more like a ligament.
1: Yeah. Which is funny because that's just, I feel like every time just in passing, right. I've ever heard, uh. Physical therapists educate people. It's always just a year. I think yeah. arbitrarily. I think I don't know if it's just we hear it somewhere, so we just resay it. But we always say it. It'll take up to a year for you to feel quote unquote normal or back to your your hundred percent again. Mm-hmm. So that explains how. Yeah, I mean, evidence is showing that it's nine months, and then so in some cases it's twelve.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It- and, I mean, we've all heard about, like, the cases, especially with professional athletes who go back to play, you know, re- with incredibly short times. Um, I mean, the rate of re-injury with these professional athletes is staggeringly high. Mm-hmm. It's, it, in my mind... What's it, their it's their job, right? It, it, exactly. They yeah. want to get back out there making money. But, yeah. um, at the same time, if they re-tear that thing, I mean, you're you're looking at, you know, essentially complete end of career. I, yeah. It... Every circumstance is different, so you definitely need to plan it out. But this study is uh, making a really hard case for a longer duration. And that's actually what another study said, and I don't have it listed here, but um, that the rehabilitation process should should last 9 to 12 months. Now, insurance may not agree with that. <laughs> insurance <laughs> they, will not agree. They rarely agree with that. But if you want this thing to be right, I mean, that's kind of what we're uh, what we're looking at, or to increase your chances to be part of that sixty-five percent that are able to return to, you know, pre-level this is what you're going to need to do. Um, so, yeah, that is a uh, don't return to pivoting sports for at least uh, nine months. That's one donut. Uh, the other donut is. Actually, the opposite of what we were uh, talking about uh, earlier. Do do not do open-chain exercises.
1: (laughs) Don't do (laughs) open-chain exercises. (laughs)
0: Uh, Yeah. um, In particular, that uh, knee extension machine. Now, I will say, like, glued exercises. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You should uh, should definitely... uh, You can do those open-chain. Just be careful with uh, what you're doing. Make sure you're not putting stress unnecessarily on uh, <laughs> on the tissue. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, if you're if you're talking about, like, band work stuff above the knee, oh, get after it. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Strong glutes don't lie. Hips Ab- don't lie. Absolutely. Absolutely. It. Shakira, Shakira. And I think um, I'm just going to throw in uh, one more do. Um, another thing that's really important for this population, especially if uh, you decide to not go through with the reconstruction process, Um, do make your hamstrings extremely strong in all planes. This means like fully stretched out. This means eccentrically. You need these guys to be on top of their game because they're going to be essentially taking over the role of your ACL. They can hold your tibia in place while you do these high level activities. While probably not as good as the ligament itself, they can be pretty proficient. And the other cool thing about the hamstrings is they have a ton of those mechanoreceptors, um, muscle spindles, if you will, and so they transmit a ton of information to the brain about knee and hip angles. So you want those guys to be at peak performance at all times, and with that, you also need to have strong core musculature because that allows your hamstrings to work well. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I think that was I think that was more of a personal tidbit. I didn't really find specific stuff yeah. about that, but that's. Yeah. Just what I've seen.
1: Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. Right. So like in for PTs, for instance, when we're doing uh, ACL test to identify ACL pair, uh, tears, um, there's two tests called, uh, Lachman's mm-hmm. and, uh, enter drawer. And so long story short, in these tests, basically what you're doing is you're testing to see if the, the tibia will slide anteriorly. And one thing that we do is we keep the, we try to relax the hamstrings as possible. And this is like, usually like, so this is an ACL tear, right? So it's usually pretty acute, pretty early, like right after the tear, as soon as possible, you're doing this Mm -hmm. test. And um, I mean, there's a chronic, but we'll get into that later. Um, And so basically what you're doing is you're putting, you need to put the hamstrings on slack because they immediately tighten up and they immediately take over because as you said, they're the ones keeping the tibia from sliding forward. Mm-hmm. So that just goes to show that, I mean, it's the very first thing the body does to try to stabilize the joint is mm-hmm.
0: kind of uh, tighten or contract yes, and
1: stiffen the hamstrings.
0: Yeah. yeah. It, I mean, it's truly remarkable um, how the body automatically just goes through the right, right. thing yeah, right away. Yeah, right. yeah. Yeah. It's just like, look, we need, we need to do this. We need to do this now. So that explains why mm-hmm. if you're trying to function without them, without the ACL,
1: then that's the first muscle you're going to
0: have to address. Yeah. Yeah. And what, uh, what I meant by earlier um, with the strong core musculature, um, because the hamstrings attach to your pelvis, they have influence over pelvic positioning, which means that they need a solid base to pull from. Your abdominal musculature, your core musculature, all the way around your spine, that is what controls the position of the pelvis as well. So if you can be stable there, your hamstrings have a solid surface to pull from and to actually function as that ACL and all that good stuff.
1: And we were talking about, uh, when I was talking earlier about my wins, women's basketball days, uh, or coaching women's basketball, oh, I yeah. wasn't in women's basketball. You were No. You? <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. Weird. Huh? Um, <laughs> you a words, <laughs> uh, basically, the, the core, don't forget, also transmits forces, right? Oh, I mean, um, yeah. So every time you're doing something, you're driving off the ground, you're jumping up to grab a rebound, stuff like mm-hmm. that. Your biomechanics are directly related to the force distribution your body is able to permit or allow or uh, do in general. So if you're not able to transmit the force, Mm -hmm. therefore, you're going to have terrible mechanics because it can't handle these forces that you're either generating or receiving. Mm
0: -hmm. And there will be a breakdown. Wait, are are you talking about that? proximal stability before distal <laughs> mobility <laughs> <laughs> yes
1: yes i am <laughs> marshall university physical therapy School. <laughs> uh,
0: that, that is uh, just a pt talk for literally what he just said yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah
1: if you can't yeah basically if you aren't strong enough to tolerate the the power of the movement you're not gonna be able to do it Long story it, short.
0: Yeah, if you can't uh stabilize uh, the center of your body, uh the limbs, they aren't gonna be doing anything. they and they're yeah. for sure. If they're already doing anything, it's not gonna be very efficient. You're gonna be looking like a wacky inflatable wacky, <laughs> waving, inflatable arm flailing too, man. That's what you're gonna be looking like. You know those guys can dance to any song. Like any <laughs> song you put on, man, they just get it. They yeah, just yeah. throw they down. They demonstrated that in all these sunny in mm-hmm.
1: Philadelphia. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Have you seen the uh have you have you seen them where they like tie down the hands so it looks like they're twerking? <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's incredible <laughs>
1: um oh, these wheels have really fallen off <laughs> uh acl yeah ACL. reconstruction yeah. acl yeah, you um, need that to twerk
0: yeah exactly uh, so um let's see here um i think i got through the do's and do knots knots <laughs> um i want to say donuts again um so i guess like just really broad, like overall goals, stuff to have in your mind if you do um, choose to go through with uh, this reconstruction. Within uh, two weeks, we want to have full extension range motion. You want that knee getting nice and straight within two weeks. You want to have good quad control without extensor lag. So whenever you go to do like a straight leg raise um, while laying on your back, just literally lifting your uh, foot off the table you want to be able to keep that knee locked and straight the entire time. We, we as PTs do not want to see any bend or like where you, you bend at the knee, then your leg lifts. We don't want to be seeing any of that. Um, we want to then have full range of motion by six weeks. Uh, so this means, um, not only fully straight, but it also needs to be fully bending. Now, with that being said, it may not feel the best to bend fully, but um, as long as you can do it, but yeah, as so long as you can get it, get there. And, I guess, like, longer term, um, because, you know, some people, they regain range of motion a little bit slower. Um, If so long as it's before, like, 10 weeks in my mind, I'm usually pretty happy. Mm -hmm. Um, Just because after that, it becomes a lot harder and a lot more painful. Um, Then, uh, yeah, so normal gait pattern uh, without an assistive device, we want that by six weeks. Um, For these people, I mean, like, in my own personal practice, um, depending, once again, on the case and you know, if there's like any extra extension brace or anything, I want to try and get them walking normally, even if it's just across the room within like three weeks, I want them to have a solid understanding of that heel toe mechanic. I want them letting that knee bend behind them. Um, so I mean, that's kind of what's in my mind, but yeah, by six weeks is what we're looking for. Um, get into some light jogging by four months and then, uh, quote-unquote unrestricted activity by six months which is
1: uh, not saying return to sport no it's just saying unrestricted activity in the form of uh you know your you, day-to-day activities
0: you can you can sprint you can squat you full depth out. um yeah. things i mean more work needs to be done and i hope you've gotten that through this whole thing um, that more work needs to be done at six months, but yeah, there's just no more precautions. There's nothing that we need to be extra, um, worried or concerned about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I, I, that's kind of like the, the big stuff there. Um, the, in terms of like whether or not you choose to get one or not, um, I, I would really consider those studies, um, that we talked about where, you know, like only 65% of people of, you know, non-professionals get back to where they were. Um, If you're just somebody who just likes to be active, a weekend warrior, or, you know, you like to do like little intramural stuff, ACL reconstruction may not be the move for you. Um,
1: Yeah. I mean, a lot of people are able to function perfectly fine without it with regards to whatever activity they're doing. I mean, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it depends if you're trying to get back on the field again or, you know, intramural mm-hmm. sports is different than hiking or biking or something. But mm-hmm. um, it's a lot to think, think about because it's a lot, especially in the United States healthcare system, it's very expensive. Yep. It's very timely. It's very painful. It's very limiting. And there's always risk for the infections. There's always risk for DVT complications. complications. I mean, these are all things you have to really consider and talk about with your doctor. Yeah. And uh, no matter what, do therapy at following. Even if Absolutely. you don't have the, if you do or do not have the surgery, have therapy following.
0: Yeah. And um, I mean, recommendations for a therapy following an ACL tear is within 24 hours. Yeah.
1: I mean, we we can help with pain, uh, pain control, swelling, Swelling, uh, mm -hmm. inflammation, the whole nine yards we can help with, but we can't help if you come to us a month later and say, I'm getting surgery next week. It's like, well, there's, we can, I guess, teach you your exercises so that when you get out of surgery day one, you can start doing them. It can can help
0: prepare you mentally for what you're about to go through. um, So that way you can be accepting it. But yeah, um, it's definitely worth thinking about if your career, the way that you make money does not involve, you know, using your body. Um, yeah, that's, it's something considered not, or even if it does involve using your body, you need to, I guess like consider like, to what extent, you know, cause if you can function with just, you know, having like a nice supportive knee brace, whenever you want to do the higher level stuff, that, that's a very viable option. And one, I think yeah. that might uh, benefit. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, if you are even, can even slightly worried about it or anything like that um going to a physical therapist and discussing biomechanics and things like things of this nature or if you have a loved one or a significant other or someone that's in like like we talked about earlier a female in basketball Mm -hmm. anything like that in your family these are things to consider because the statistics are just so high in those populations so even if you're not getting knee braces or something like that just taking the time to address it with a professional about the biomechanics and what muscles to strengthen just the base bare bones of what would prevent these things from happening
0: yeah, exactly exactly um wow um i'm actually uh, pretty impressed i feel like we uh, did some good stuff there i think we did some stuff i i, I think we uh, yeah i think we covered like the bare bones of a very expansive topic we didn't actually um. Just so the listeners out there you know, we've been talking about doing this episode for probably two months now, but we just <laughs> yeah. keep saying uh, next week. Uh... It's,
1: it's there's just as we said, there's so much evidence, and there's there's so much deviation from one mm-hmm. surgery protocol to or protocol to protocol. Mm-hmm. Um, let alone surgery to surgery, let alone graft to graft. I mean, there's so many. Mm -hmm. different aspects of this that it was just kind of daunting. So we just wanted to give you guys the uh, old global view of it. That's about all we gave you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I mean, another note on the research too, um, with like the uh, ligamentization um, I was talking about earlier, one thing that the study uh, said is that this, it seems like humans do this at a much slower rate than animals do. So this calls into question Almost all of the studies that were done on animals in regards to this surgery which that we prob- based. which I
1: would argue is half, probably at probably or at least a third. I mean, that's what most studies start with, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that's how that's how the the evidence based model begins.
0: Yeah, it, and I, I hate for it for us to sound like. You know, there's a lot of stuff out there. We don't know how to help. We do know how to help, but it's a very much a gray area that doesn't have definitive answers is the point that we're trying to drive home.
1: Yeah, and everyone's different, right? So at the end mm-hmm. of the day, it's just get the best therapist you can and uh, just try to work together
0: as a team the best you can. It's about all you can do at the end of the day. Yeah, it's about all you can do. And uh, I think it is about the end of the day for this episode. So I think we can say uh, always stay classy,
1: anterior cruciate ligament nation. <laughs> yeah, that right? Yeah, I nailed it. <laughs> Got it. <laughs>